the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you're having a great weekend. You can also hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. You can always listen on your own time to the podcast located at Josh's website, aptuswealth.com. Josh, if you were, uh, let's say, the god of retirement for one day, how would you improve retirement security? Uh, if I were the god of retirement for one day, well, one, I think that... You already are, right? <laughs> You're right, right. <laughs> no, I think I'm not the only one that's tried to figure this, uh, this Rubik's Cube out, right? Congress tries to do it all the time. And they've repeatedly tried to resolve the retirement crisis, or if you want to call it, add a stopgap via Social Security, incremental uh, approaches to trying to improve the situation. And at the end of the day, as much as they've tried and persisted, uh, roughly half of Americans still say they retire. They, you know, rely on their standard of living be provided by heavily by Social Security. And then you have this Social Security issue. We don't know what that looks like moving forward. So I think, you know, first and foremost, there is no god of retirement security. Uh, I think this is a real question between what I would consider to be freedom of choice. Uh, always equals somewhat inequality. Let me explain what I mean by that. And I'm going to give you some solutions here, Diane, but. If we don't mandate that people do certain things to help protect themselves, if we give them the choice to make their own decisions, then there's always going to be this inequality gap. If you tell people to save and to do the right thing and say, and, and, you know, uh, postpone gratification, uh, certain people will do just that and certain people won't, which will create more prepared people in retirement and less prepared people in retirement. And I'm not necessarily an advocate of forcing people to do anything, Diane. So I think it's important. I'm going to give you the solution that I think would work, but it's not necessarily the solution that I like. Um, I think that, you know, as long as you have that freedom, uh, discipline is going to reign supreme. And a lack of discipline essentially creates an income inequality gap. That said, there are certain things that we certainly need to fix. Um, Social Security being one of them. Um, savings being another. So one thing that I think you could mandate with savings, and I'll come back to Social Security, is just that. You could mandate it. Right now, uh, there was a time about 20 years ago where the bulk of people had pensions. 
and now a very, very minuscule amount of people have pensions. And what were those pensions? They were effectively mandated savings. So you knew if you put in your 40 years in an employer that you had some semblance of a security blanket when you retired. Pensions are no moss. So now we have 401ks, or at least most people uh, through their employer have some form of retirement plan. But that retirement plan is an elective plan. You don't have to participate. And if you don't participate, then you don't have any additional funds beyond Social Security when you retire. So how could we fix the problem? We mandate that you participate. We literally require that everybody participates in their company-sponsored retirement plan. I'm not an advocate for this, but it would solve a problem. Secondly, Social Security. It seems to me that nobody on either side of the aisle wants to address Social Security when the simple fact is Social Security is going to run out. We've talked about this a lot on this show, and that uh, there is a definitive date. Uh, around 2030, Social Security's trust fund, if you want to call it that, will in fact run out of money. And we need to address that. Uh, we need to address it in the short term and in the long term. And I would in fact address that. And I'm sure that I would not create any, uh, I would have some adversaries in that fixing, Diane. There would certainly be people that would, would not like it. But I think that you have to keep the promises to the people that are already collecting. I think you have to create an environment where there's a kind of a transition. And then folks that are my age are, the Social Security program is not going to look identical to the way that it is now. Something has to be done to solve Social Security. So if I was God for a day, I would do my best to solve Social Security, which would make me a hero to some and the devil to others. Um, I would create an environment where we at least incentivize uh, more rather than mandate the savings into retirement plans, which would help the problem. And then I think the easiest way to improve the situation is through financial education. Uh, I'm a firm believer that the more you know, the better chance you have of solving problems. And I don't think that I'm unique in that. But if we had a stronger financial education, we do a great job of teaching things like, you know, biology, chemistry, calculus, mathematics, history, et cetera. But I don't know that in the schools we do a tremendous job of teaching basic financial literacy. And there's a big movement for this with a bunch of different folks today. But financial literacy, meaning the power of savings, compound interest, the power of getting ahead versus getting behind, the detriment of, you know, having a bad credit score. Uh, how do you balance a checkbook? How do you invest? Basic things that could be included very easily in a, uh, you know, one high school, nine-week course. You could teach basic financial literacy. I think that could make an impact, and at least for the people who choose to have the discipline to do so, making wiser decisions. For the people who choose not to do so, maybe we create an incentive program large enough to want them to participate in some sort of retirement plan and then get people started as early as possible in savings for just a rainy day. Uh, I think we've had enough scenarios in this country where one would think that it would force people to start to plan for the future. We had, in the last 20 years, mom bubble, we've had the financial housing crisis, we've had a war that's gone on for 20 years, which certainly at its times had created a lot of economic turmoil. Uh, back in the early 2000s, and now we've had COVID, and you know we have the political turmoil that we have. Who knows where the next shoe is going to drop? Having a little bit of a safety net is of value. Teach that through history and financial education, and help people get going in that process. And and you can ask specific questions on how I would do that, but 
Um, I think that's the general idea on what needs to be changed. And so for people who it's too late, they're through school and they're in the workforce, what do you see the harm in mandating something to make sure that people take care of them? It's just the fact that the freedom of choice is, is taken away? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you, it has to be done over time, number one. For example, there's plenty of people in this country that are, some of which I'm sure are listening today, who would say, you can't just tell me I have to start saving 10% of my income, I'll get kicked out of my house. I don't make enough money to save 10% of my income, my budget's too tight. So that would be incredibly detrimental to some. Would it solve the problem to say everybody in the country has to now start saving 10% of their income? It would solve the line of our problem, but it creates new problems. So you have to come up with some sort of transitionary uh, method. So, you know, how could you do that? Uh, Shooting off the top of my head, obviously, I haven't had time to prepare for this question, but uh, I would say, you know, the next time that you get a raise, make, save a percentage of that raise, and then mandate that employers match that raise potentially. And I know there's plenty of people who are employers out there going, uh, here he goes, you know, <laughs> the employers have it tough enough. I'm an employer too. I, I get it. I, and I, again, I'm coming up with ideas, but I think there has to be a balance of freedom and a balance of forcing people who won't otherwise do what they should do to do it. And the people who are probably going to be the most, com- they're going to complain the most about this mandate are the ones that are probably already doing it interesting. Um, the ones that you force to do it, uh, quite frankly, large in part, probably don't pay attention to things like taxes, etc., cetera, uh, as much as the people who have an instant opinion. And that may be a very harsh generalization. And I apologize for anybody that I caught in that net that I shouldn't have. But uh, I think that mandate will create a scenario. And by mandate, bear in mind, I also mean incentivize. So not just punish people and make them save. That's kind of the way this sounds. But give them some incentive whether that's if you're in a lower income category, you save into your 401k, you actually get an additional benefit for saving into your 401k um, so that you get ahead rather than behind. And I don't want to dive too deep down on the rabbit hole because we could talk about a bunch of different ways that we can institute this. But at the end of the day, we have to shore up Social Security because so many people rely on it. We have to create a way where it incentivizes savings and to some degree forces it And then we have to educate people so they know that they're making good versus bad decisions. And you're right. If you're already out of college or out of high school or whatever it might be, you're already, you know, 20 years into your career, then the information's out there. Go look for it. Contact my office, et cetera. But we need to make some changes because people are getting further behind than further ahead over the last 20 years. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and learn new strategies to manage risk, call Aptus at 614-364-7300. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. Josh, we have a few minutes before break. What? Let's talk about the rollout of, of vaccines. Speaking of mandates uh, or lack of yeah. uh, a choice, Ellen, I want to be clear on these. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I want to be clear on these mandates. I'm also a firm believer that, and I'm sure everybody would agree that typically, if a government takes over a program, whether that's our government or a government around the country, it's not the most efficiently run program, right? So when I say mandate, I mean that people are forced to save to their private plans. So these are still 401k plans that are, uh, you know, through the workplace. You still very much own those dollars. They're still in your 401k account. You get to direct those any way you want. All I'm saying is that we need to get participation in those retirement plans up because people don't have enough savings beyond the government program, which is Social Security. And bear in mind, as I said, we need to, the government might need to mandate some of this participation. 
I'm saying that they need to do that because our government program that was run is going to run out of money in 2030. So clearly, I don't think that the government should run this program. I just believe that they should encourage in some way through some incentive for people to participate in private programs. Understood. Understood. The rollout of vaccines is happening. What kind of impact does the rollout have on the market and in turn retirement planning? I think in the short term, it can have some pretty significant impacts. Now, I, I think you know, one of the big questions right now is not necessarily the efficacy of the of the vaccines. I think a lot of people have some questions. You know, I, I hear oftentimes, I'm sure you do, well, while I'm glad there's a vaccine, I'm not going to be first in line to go get it is a common theme that I hear in my office. But I think we're on the right track with getting a vaccine out there. So the vaccine will certainly give people the confidence at some point to get back to some semblance of normalcy. So that's all a good thing. I think the concern right now is the distribution method. How quick can we get people vaccinated? And it seems to be rolling out slower than what we had hoped. So that can have a very significant impact in the short term. Now, it doesn't look like it's having as great of an impact, you know, through volatility. But I I think that's temporary. I think volatility is going to be significant. Time will prove whether I'm right or wrong. Long run, you need to have a systematic, logical approach to handle things. It's the same thing that we talk about all the time is don't pay attention to short-term trends as much as look at way that, the way that your investments are going to fare in the long run. Because I think these, you know, these sell-offs and buybacks and, I mean, geez, you look at Tesla, for example. I mean, uh, I think I, I saw a stat that Elon Musk's net worth has gone up by $85 billion this year. I mean, it's run up more than 100% in the last six months. I mean, you've had some pretty remarkable uh, booms and busts and sell-offs and purchases over the last 12 months. Volatility's certainly been high. I think that's, that's here, whether it's the COVID vaccine or just the general status of our economy. We're going we're gonna to see a lot of that volatility. But have a pragmatic, logical, long-term approach, and whether you have short-term volatility or not, have a plan in place to handle that, because I think it's here to stay. And the vaccine certainly isn't going to uh, help or hurt that necessarily. It's just going to cause the volatility to potentially be more extreme. The number is one four three six four seven three zero zero. We talk about inflation when we come back. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, how much of a concern should inflation be for investors? I think inflation should be a a big concern for investors moving forward. We're living longer, and as a result of living longer, it makes the impact of inflation potentially more significant. And by that, I mean 3% over 25 years is more significant to your portfolio than 3% over 10 years. Just logical math, right? 
So the big question is, what will inflation look like? Because it's been relatively a non-issue over the last 10 or 15 years. If you go back over the last 20 or 25 years, in fact, it's only been about 2 2.5%. But if you include the last five, it's been almost non-existent. So the question is, with all of the printing money, will, in fact, inflation become more of a significant factor? And this is, you would think, Diane, that, well, if I print more money, then that's going to create an inflationary environment because, you know, more dollar bills makes each dollar bill worth less unless it's backed by something like gold. When this seems to be divided as to whether or not the impact of inflation is going to be as significant as some of the pundits are saying on the opposite side, I don't know the answer to what inflation will look like. I can't imagine that it's going to go any lower as we've had relatively non-existent inflation again over the last five or 10 years. So even if we go back to relative norms, uh, which is two and a half percent, inflation's a big problem for everybody's retirement portfolio. Over the next, you retire at 65, you live to 90, it's 25 years. That means at uh, a 3% inflation level, for example, you'll need roughly twice as much as you did when you started. So if you retire when you're 65 and you're living on $50,000 a year, when you're 90 to live the exact same life at a 3% inflation rate, you're going to need it 100000 or more. So inflation is a big concern. Now, the question is, how do we handle that inflation? And the big concern right now is the how to handle inflation is interest rates. Uh, it's widely known, I'm sure everybody listening knows, that as you get older, you need to start tearing back the risk in your portfolio. So I started when I was really young with maybe 100% of my money in stocks and equities. And then as I get older and closer and closer to retirement, I start adding bonds and other safe investments into that pot so that I have less volatility, less risk, obviously less reward. But that less reward in the past used to be things like I would get 5 or 6% and my stock market investments would do 7, 8, 9%. Um, so I ended up with a more balanced portfolio that earned maybe 1 or 2% less than having 100% in stocks. Well, now you have interest rates down at you know, the 10-year treasury being under uh, 2%. Actually, we had periods of time when it was way under 1%, you know, all the way down to 75 basis points. Well, how in the world am I going to combat two and a half or three percent inflation when I'm only earning one percent on my fixed investments. So the challenge will be, how do I make sure I don't outlive my money and combat inflation? And there's ways to do it that make logical sense, but you have to think a little bit outside of the box of just the standard CDs and bonds. We can obviously talk about that more at length if you want, but I don't know if we have enough time in the segment to cover that. But uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it in future segments or future shows. But know that one of those ways would be by adding guaranteed lifetime income through annuities with inflation and adjustments. A uh, very popular strategy 20, 30 years ago kind of died out uh, during the higher interest rates and the, the bonds doing the bond market doing so well. But that's coming a little bit back into favor. There's a myriad of ways that it can be handled. But if you don't handle it, inflation could be the silent killer in your portfolio. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session, to learn new strategies, to manage risk, to talk to Josh about how you can protect yourself against inflation, call Aptus at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So with those concerns about inflation among the many worries people have now, Josh, is investing in precious metals a good way to protect against a possible market downturn? It can be. Um, and, and before I, I give you all the reasons why it's good and why it's bad, it's important to note that anytime you look at any investment, you should look at what's good and what's bad about it. 
And you should realize that when it comes to investing, balancing is important because every investment has its pros and cons. And oftentimes, just like everything else in our media, as I say this over the media, but many times our media likes to say, this is the best way and this is the awful way. Or you hear, you know, I'd rather burn in hell than invest in this. Uh, when in fact, all of these different things have goods and bads. So what's good about gold? Well, gold historically has intrinsic value and usually favors well through times of inflation. So one could argue that if you're scared about inflation or you're scared about volatility in the market, gold has historically been a safety net. The flip side of that is if you look over the last hundred years, gold has been the worst investment, second to only just holding all of your money uh, under your mattress in cash. So it hasn't been a great home run long-term investment, but it has had times where it's done very, very well as a hedge against inflation. Now, what is good about it? Again, intrinsic value, safe play, limits volatility, add some stability potentially to your portfolio. The downsides, however, uh, there's a huge opportunity cost there. And by opportunity cost, I mean you don't get any income while you're holding gold. Gold is shiny, gold is cool, but gold doesn't provide you any income until you actually sell the gold. So your money, while it's working for you as a hedge against potential inflation and risk and volatility, it isn't providing you anything while you're holding it other than just the comfort of having that shiny coin in your hand. So, uh, and that brings me to my next thing. It has some liquidity risk. And by liquidity risk, I mean you got to sell it to somebody. And it isn't like it's legal tender everywhere. You can't just go to your grocery store and hand them a, a gold coin to pay, with your gro pay for your groceries. So you actually have to liquidate that on the market somewhere. And there have been times when that's been difficult. Do you actually hold the gold individually or do you hold an ETF or some sort of mutual fund that has gold? And that brings me to my last thing. You have a, a counterparty risk. If you invest in something where they say they have your gold, do they really have your gold? We don't necessarily know. There's some huge debate there. Um, and then how we handle it via taxes is another concern. Taxes have changed dramatically on the investment in gold over the last 20 years. How will it be taxed? Do I have it held appropriately so I qualify for that right tax treatment, et cetera. So oftentimes it's safer to hold that gold in 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, where the tax implications really don't count. So I guess the takeaway here, Diane, is gold has its place. Our portfolios certainly have some gold in them, more at certain times than others. It can be a great inflation hedge, but it isn't going to provide you an income in retirement that you can live off of either. And there's some other risks in the way of liquidity and verifying how you hold it, et cetera, that could be challenging. So don't jump into gold too heavy, but make sure you don't rule it out either. And let's come up with a logical strategy and where it applies for you. Do people who like gold just like the fact that they're holding on to it? If the world is ending and something happens, they just like that it's tangible and they can hold it in their hand. And that, that's well, I think a false belief, I guess. I mean, everybody has their own reasons for, for owning gold and holding it in their hand. I mean, there's some uh, urban legends, some things that have been passed down from generation to generation. You know, if you, if you buy a gold coin every year that your child's alive, you'll be able to pay for his college and stuff like that. I, I hear random things that have kind of been anecdotally passed down through generations. Um, historically speaking, again, it's been a great inflation hedge, but I think it's sensationalism that's uh, kind of perpetuated by the Internet, by television, by everything. You know, the world's going to end. Uh, buy your gold, buy your food for the basement, buy all those things. Do I think you should have some food to sustain your family for a few days in case uh, there's no food at the grocery store? Sure, it makes sense. Do I think you need food for the next 10 years for your family? Well, that's up to you. But I would say most people would say that's sensational. And the same thing applies with gold. 
I've had many clients or potential clients call and say, I want to take all my money out of the market and put it all in gold because I think that Armageddon's coming and that's the only, it's going to be the only currency because of something they read on the internet that's trying to sell an article or sell a subscription or sell something. So just be very cautious. Again, I'm not anti-gold. And gold absolutely has its place, but it doesn't have its place as 100% of your holdings. So create a balanced situation that's going to treat you well for the long run. What about Bitcoin? We hear so much and we all have friends and family that are talking about it or talking us into it. And it feels like the biggest multi-level marketing thing going on. But it's it's become a player. Yeah, I think, you know, Bitcoin or let's just call them alternative online currencies uh, that are handled through blockchain technology um, are here to stay. I think in the long run, it's very possible that there'll be a very, very viable currency that we use no differently than using our credit cards. It's not quite that simple yet. But volatility, again, the issue. Um, and, and I often correlate it to things like marijuana stocks. You know, marijuana stocks, is marijuana here to stay? It certainly seems like it's legal in a lot of country, a lot of states, and it's going to continue to be legal. So you would say, hey, I want to hop on the bandwagon on a new industry that's going to take off. Totally agree. Makes sense. If that's something you're comfortable doing, you know, within your own, I know everybody has different opinions morally on this, but the volatility is so high that it's very difficult to say invest a tremendous amount of money in it. If you look at Bitcoin and what it's done, for example, and Bitcoin I would assume is still regarded as the, the largest of the online currencies, the volatility has been breakneck. I mean, you went from zero to a, a millionaire down to zero back up to, it, you know, you can't invest all of your money there. So be cautious, small percentage of your portfolio. I think it can be a good inflation hedge, but very volatile, just like, uh, penny stocks, just like marijuana stocks have been, et cetera, et cetera. I can't even understand how Bitcoin works. Is there a simple explanation, Josh? Ultimately, what you're saying is I am putting my money into a currency. That currency will be driven by the demand within that currency realm. So think about it as, you know, the United States dollar has a lot of uh, factors affecting it. Uh, demand worldwide, uh, the status of the economy, GDP, et cetera, all affected the value of the U.S. dollar. Whereas Bitcoin, on the other hand, is really affected simply by supply and demand. How many people want Bitcoin drives up the price. How fearful people are of the economy drives up the price. So it, it reacts much like gold, but it doesn't actually, it's not backed up to anything like gold. It doesn't have any intrinsic value. It's literally just investing in, fictional online currency that is driven by demand and there's only so much of it out there so it's an interesting environment i was actually part of a study uh i have a a colleague who's a professor at a university and he did his uh his phd thesis on bitcoin so he did a lot of research on it and the conclusion that i came to with you know through his research was it's absolutely here to stay but what it looks like 10 years from now we just don't quite know so i'm cautious on it but it does not mean that I'm opposed to it for a percentage of assets. You know, I don't know if I did a good job of explaining that, but it's, it's, a, it's a weird animal, Diane. It is. It is, for sure. And I'm uh, a little confused about it. I just keep thinking that one day we're going to wake up and the creator of this Bitcoin is like, ha-ha, and take everybody's money and run. And that's what I think is going to happen. What is interesting that the person who created Bitcoin did have their own shares of Bitcoin and whether or not those were actually funded or just kind of intrinsically added is some question. But... Uh, you know, urban legend has it that the value of those Bitcoins that he holds is you know, well into the billions. So who knows? You could be right. It could be uh, the eternal black market. But I do have some clients that have done very well in cryptocurrencies. I tread lightly.
Let me give you Josh's number, the Aptus Wealth Management office number, so you can schedule your own personalized planning session. We call it the Aptus Blueprint Process. The phone number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. And you can join Josh every Monday evening at 6 for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer. We'll have more when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, are there significant changes to Social Security, Medicare, and retirement plan limits for 2021 that we should keep in mind or or be concerned about? Well, there's always changes every year to both of those things. The easiest ones to address is every single year, Social Security and Medicare have the option to uh, Social Security to increase its cost of living, meaning actually give you a raise. And then Medicare, which is what you pay for, has the ability to raise its premiums. And in previous years, I've heard many times that, you know, I got an increase in my Social Security, but my paycheck went up very little because my Medicare went up almost proportionally to how much my wage increase was. But that said, um, the nearly 70 million Americans uh, that collect Social Security will get a 1.3% increase in their Social Security benefits this year. That also applies to uh, SSI. Uh, on the Medicare side, it went up uh, just shy of four bucks, three dollars and ninety cents. So I believe that goes from uh, one hundred and forty-four and change up to one hundred and forty-eight. I think it's actually one hundred and forty-eight and a half even. So you now pay one hundred and forty-eight dollars and fifty cents for your Medicare. Note though that your Medicare premiums are based upon how much money you make. So if you're a joint family income of less than $170,000 a year, what I told you is just accurate. It's $148.50 each for your Medicare premiums. If you make more than that, it tears up from there. So know that when I'm saying that, I'm talking about the lowest tier. Also, as we hop back to uh, Social Security, remember there's people collecting and then there's people paying in. And the people that pay into Social Security pay that Social Security tax up to a certain amount of income. This was a big part of the debate or a big part of uh, Joe Biden's uh, new plan is he is going to raise this threshold. But let's talk about what it is right now, and then I'll tell you what's been proposed. So right now, you pay taxes uh, on your income, Social Security taxes specifically on your income, up to about $138,000 a year. It's one thirty-seven seven hundred or something like that. It is being increased to almost 143000 So if you're in that fortunate category, if you think about it, your taxes have effectively gone up on $5,000 worth of income. That tax is roughly 6.2%. Let's just say 6% for easy math. That means your tax bill just went up $300. And the taxes that your employer pays also went up by $300 for a total of $600 more going into Social Security. Now, one thing that uh, the Biden administration is going to change is they created what they call they're calling a donut hole. So now from 142.8 up to 400,000, you pay no 6% towards Social Security. But then on any income you make over 400,000, you start paying it again. 
So that is a potential change that could happen. But the one that I'm talking about is, in fact, already in place. Um, other things that always change or seem to change every single year. If you are collecting Social Security, but you are not full retirement age yet. So you started collecting your Social Security when you were 62, not 66 or 66 in four months or whatever your collection age was. But you're 62 in collecting and you want to go back to work. There is an income limit until you reach full retirement age on the amount of money that you can make and still collect Social Security without a reduction in your Social Security. And this is one that people get hit with oftentimes unknowingly. So listen very carefully. If you are 62, 63, 64, all the way up to 66 and collecting Social Security, you cannot make more than $18,960 for 2021 via income or any amount that you are, every $2 that you earn above that, you lose a dollar of your Social Security. So, you know, if you're retired and you're under full retirement age and you're collecting Social Security, make sure you keep your income below about 19000 bucks, or it starts to hurt you. That does not apply to pensions, uh, you know, living off of savings, your 401k, et cetera. It only applies to earned income. Those are the big changes, Diane, that occurred. Um, you know, there's other things that uh, have been kind of inferred that will potentially occur as a result of the new administration. But the ones that are trued up for sure are just that Medicare is going up, but your Social Security is going up. The amount that you can earn before full retirement age is, in fact, going up. But the amount that you pay taxes on if you're still working is also going up. What is the one change that you are upset about? I think one that I, I'm not a huge fan of that, uh, first, this is going to take some explanation because I know that there's a lot of people that believe that the quote-unquote wealthy should be paying more. And while that's a debate for another day, um, I think all of these rules are to catch certain people in the net. So when we hear the term rich, we think of people that are making millions and millions of dollars or $800,000 a year or whatever that number is. And we say, well, if they're making over $400,000 a year with the status of Social Security, I think that they should pay in more into Social Security. And that's a, that's a very viable argument for another day. But the question is, who gets caught in that net of over $400,000? And the reality is, it's not the people that are being touted that need to pay more. And by that, I mean, we all hear the stories of there's the CEO or the, the person, the independent business owner who's making, you know, $20 million a year and he, he deserves to pay more in Social Security taxes. When in reality, uh, if you file your company as an S-Corp and you have a salary, the only thing that you pay taxes on to Social Security is your salary. So I could make $90 million a year and have a $100,000 salary. And I only pay Social Security taxes on $100,000. I don't pay it on anything else. Matter of fact, Joe Biden has an S-Corp. Um, it was brought up during the, the election process. So, and, and that's not to, to fault him. That's the, the rules. You're more than welcome to do it. Uh, but again, it's always proposed to us as we're trying to catch these ultra-wealthy in the net. And we're simply not. Who are we going to catch in the net? Uh, the surgeon at uh, Ohio State Medical Center who makes a million dollars a year via W-2 income. He's caught in the net. Uh, and I don't know that that's who we're really trying to catch in the net necessarily. So that one troubles me a little bit because I don't think it really moves the needle a lot. But I don't think that it's, it's necessarily doing us any favors in the way that we view how we handle the taxation on Social Security. Um, so that one bothers me. But at the same time, I think there's other things that could be improved. Um, so, you know, definitely not coming at you 
as a as a negative uh, here on that one in particular. I don't think that that many people are going to be affected by it, but I don't think that it's going to improve the situation that much either. We're going to talk capital gains uh, taxes. Uh, just want to remind people that this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. The Aptus Wealth Management number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So how much should possible capital gains tax bills be a, a factor when planning for retirement and saving and investing? Well, I think it can be quite significant. So first, let's cover you know what capital gains are. I'm sure most people know what they are, but let's cover some of the nuances. So a capital gain is anytime you buy something for investment purposes, you hold it for a period of time and you sell it. If you hold that investment for longer than 12 months, then you don't pay ordinary income taxes. You pay capital gains taxes. And this can be very, very helpful to wealthy individuals. It can be somewhat indifferent uh, or helpful uh, as you kind of go down the tax chain, meaning down to the, you know, the 10% bracket all the way up to the uh, 37% bracket. And what I mean by that is if I'm in the 37% tax bracket, that means every dollar I make that has to be paid in ordinary income tax, I pay 37% taxes on it. But the top tax bracket for capital gains is currently 20%. So even if I sell stock for $50 million, I do not pay 37%. I only pay 20. So there's huge benefit there. And the theory has been we want to incentivize savings so we keep the capital gains rate low. As a matter of fact, um, if you're in the lower income tax brackets, you pay essentially zero capital gains rate or maybe 15. So the point there is we want to encourage people to save so they don't have to pay any taxes on the gains that they're making outside of their 401k, retirement plan, et cetera. This can also apply, by the way, Diane, to uh, buy investment property like real estate, et cetera. So why I think that this is potentially damaging is I think it should be segmented between two categories, and I'll explain what I mean. Most people don't buy individual stocks, believe it or not. Most people that you'll encounter are buying mutual funds. And inside of those mutual funds, the mutual fund manager is buying and selling stuff all of the time, right? So if they're buying and selling stuff, you're paying capital gains, even though you might not have actually technically made any money. We call it the loser's tax. For example, let's say that I buy, um, you know, ABC mutual fund, and it has 10 stocks in it. And nine of those stocks lost money. One of them made money, and they only sold one of them. There's a possibility that I invested $100,000, now it's only worth 90, but I still have to pay a capital gains tax on that because I don't have any control of what gets bought and what gets sold. So there's two theories on this, Diane, and that is if we keep the capital gains rates low, then it will incentivize people to save more money. The flip side of that is people will say if we keep the capital gains rates low, it benefits the elite that have millions and millions and millions of dollars in individual stocks, and they could take advantage of selling those stocks at a much lower capital gains rate than their income, which is why you see many corporations paying their executives in stock options and bonuses via stock. I don't know what will end up happening there, but what I do know is if they raise capital gains rates, then we have to determine what's the best way for us to save to take advantage of all tax rates. And that changes every single year every single four years, every single tax code. And you have to put yourself in a position to take the most advantage of tax situations. So rather than uh, on this show or, or any time in my office, rather than arguing what's right and wrong, we just need to simply understand what is 
and take advantage of what is to the best of our ability for the individual client. So that's our goal, is let's mitigate taxes as much as we can, maximize the return that you receive for whatever environment, tax environment we're in, rather than arguing over what's right or wrong. So does it have an impact? Absolutely. What will that impact be? Not sure. Should we plan for the potential raising of capital gains rates? Absolutely. And this is all included in the Aptus blueprint process when you meet with potential clients. You go over all of this and gather that information. Always. There are two ways that you can quote unquote make money. One is through the returns that you achieve through investments. The other is through the money that you save through mitigating taxes. So we always include both. Uh, When you're retired, it's one of the few times in your life where you have a very significant ability to control how and when you pay your taxes. If you've been an employee up to this point in your life before you retire, for the most part, your job has been try and make as much money as you can, do the best job you can at your work, uh, save for retirement, and the cards kind of fall where they may. When you retire, you actually get to determine how and where you take your money from, and that can have a huge impact on your tax bill at the end of the year. So we want to be able to control that and minimize that tax bill as much as we can. The number to call for Aptus Wealth Management is 614-364-7300. You can call Josh at 614-364-7300. When we come back, the most important questions for investors to ask this year. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, we were talking off the air about the article in the Business Insider that they had 10 questions that investors should ask. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, I think, you know, as we were talking about this article, it's interesting in that how divided people are even in their answers as to what the future holds. And, and this leads us back to, um, you know, short-term trends is what the news always talks about, Diane. It's what we always talk about. It's that, you know, did you see the news today about what happened yesterday? But the long-term trends are far more important to us. And I think, you know, the short-term trends, it'll be interesting to see what these answers play out to. And, and, and bear in mind, these answers are given by Goldman Sachs, which is you know, largely, largely regarded as kind of the gold standard of uh, forecasting. But many years ago, before Trump got elected, I had a, uh, or actually right when Trump got elected, I did a seminar and it said the 10 forecasts that all the smart people essentially made. And literally they got every one of them wrong. So it'll be interesting as we're talking about these to see what the future holds on this short-term time frame as to whether or not they're right or wrong. So, for example, the, the first talking point was, uh, will the third wave of COVID-19 cause GDP to fall again in quarter one? And Goldman Sachs said no. They said, despite the severity of the health crisis, and the state and local authorities have kind of 
started to slow down the restrictions to a more ma moderate level was the gist of the, of the idea. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Again, we need to build an all-weather portfolio for a longer-term period of time. But essentially, Goldman Sachs feels like, uh, regardless of what happens in a third wave of COVID, it shouldn't have a huge dramatic effect. The next one was, um, you know, do you believe that uh, service industries have the ability to recover? No doubt that things like uh, companies like restaurants, uh, movie theaters, et cetera, uh, have been hit the hardest throughout COVID because they have no ability to even stay open, let alone serve customers. And if they do, uh, even today, they're at a much more dramatically uh, reduced capacity. So will they be able to recover? And uh, Goldman said, yes. I disagree with him on that one. I think that many, uh, many service industries have been hit too hard that recovering will be very, very difficult. So we'll see who's right or wrong on that one. Uh, the savings rate, will the savings rate fall below 10%? Meaning will individuals f save less than 10%? They said, yes, I agree with them there. I think that people have been hit pretty hard by this and in turn their savings rates have dropped. You know, unemployment's incredibly high, which will have an effect. Next one, will GDP growth exceed consumer expectations? Um, they said, yes. Now, that could be believed because GDP growth estimates, and GDP growth, by the way, is gross domestic, pro domestic product. That means, well, we get our factories essentially back online to a level where we're producing enough to raise the amount that we're producing, exporting, et cetera. And they said that it'll actually beat expectations. Um, I'm tossed up on that one. I think it, it's very, uh, I think the next three months will be very critical to see what happens if there is a third wave of COVID and how we handle it. And we talked earlier, Diane, about, uh, you know, the distribution of the vaccine. I think that'll have a huge impact as well. Uh, and I think the upside downside of that, Diane, is if GDP growth comes back lower than expectations, but these forecasters are already predicting that it'll come back higher than expectations, that that could already be built into the market, which could make a drop more significant. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just think that uh, we got to be cautious. Uh, other ones, and I'm just kind of going through these because it's very interesting. Uh, productivity, will it exceed pre-pandemic trends? They believe that accelerated, longer-lasting productivity will, in fact, occur. So they believe over the next 12 months, we're going to skyrocket. Um, I think as long as government spending remains where it is, two things will happen. I believe that our economy will do very, very well. I believe that the stock market will do well, but I believe inflation will, in fact, become a problem. Um, so that's something that we have to plan for. Will the unemployment rate decline by more than expected? They said yes. I don't know. I think uh, it all depends on whether or not we continue to provide stimulus packages. And if we continue to provide stimulus packages, again, I think that's great for getting people back to work. I think it's great for the quote-unquote economy. Uh, by that, I mean uh, building things, manufacturing things, and in turn, the stock market. But I believe that that will also cause uh, increased inflation. So uh, there's always this delicate balancing act, Diane, between we want to get people back to work. We want the quote-unquote economy, meaning the stock market, the amount that we produce, and the economy is essentially people. We get people back to work. There's always a delicate balancing act between that and creating an environment where our dollars are worth less. And what I mean by that is we can get everybody back to work, but the jobs that they have will produce them less 
effectively purchasing power. And I think that's going to be the interesting trend that we're going to have to keep an eye on is while we need to get everybody back to work, what is the most efficient way to do so where they, their jobs and their income still are able to provide the lifestyle that they were used to or the lifestyle that they need to be able to do the things that, you know, raise kids, et cetera. Um, and then uh, labor participation, will it rebound meaningfully, which is a, kind of a reiteration of the previous question. And it said, uh, it said yes, they expect uh, a half to one point increase labor force participation. So they believe that unemployment's gonna uh, reduce, the stock market will do well, we will beat expectations, but savings will be down, and inflation could potentially become an issue which I agree with most of that fundamentally, just small issues. So uh, again, as I correlate or I try and correlate all this back to what we do in my office from a retirement planning perspective is that means that the outlook for the, the market should not be negative, but it could increase volatility, which we need to manage. Taxes can go up and inflation can go up. So these are all things that we have to pay attention to and we have to manage accordingly. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Peck. To schedule your own planning session to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Aptus and Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, how do you help uh, people transition from growing their savings over all these years to using that savings to fund retirement? This is a, a big, big transitionary period for people. Uh, I think the best way that I've heard it explained by a client, this was a long time ago, they said they feel like they're standing on a cliff and they have a parachute on their back that they packed themselves and they're about to jump and they've never skydived before and they've never packed a chute before and they're just hoping that they got it all right because they know that there's not a whole lot of redos. Finding a job at 65 to, to cover you know, any mistakes may not be possible and certainly is a terrifying proposition. So it's very difficult uh, oftentimes to get people comfortable with the idea of just making that transition from growing your pot of money to living off of that pot of money. And the only way to do that is through education. So my process or the, the Aptus blueprint process is really a process of education. It's a process of taking in information, analyzing that information specific to that individual, and then explaining it back to them in a logical, easy to understand way and showing them how risks are mitigated, how we can you know, minimize any potential landmines that would be on their road throughout retirement, what expect, reasonable expectations can be, because expectations are everything. There's nothing worse than um, seeing unbelievable volatility in your portfolio and not knowing why. Uh, there's nothing worse than uh, not knowing how much volatility you can handle, uh, meaning not just emotionally, but actually mathematically, how much can I handle? There's nothing worse than entering into retirement just guessing that you have enough money and just hoping, crossing your fingers, that uh, you die at the right time or you run out of money. Uh, so this process really turns over all of those stones. We want people to know what the impact of taxes will be on their particular situation. Can they retire with the amount of money that they've acquired? Where should they draw that money from and in what order to minimize taxes? So it's, it's this long educational process to give them the comfort level that, yes, uh, going back to that metaphor, yes, we have packed your chute correctly. 
yes, you have taken courses on how to skydive. Look at that. You're even strapped to somebody else. You're flying tandem now because you have a financial advisor who's jumped off this cliff thousands and thousands and thousands of times. So we've been through all of this before. Fortunately for you, if there were mistakes to be made, we already made them over thousands and thousands and thousands of jumps. So you're not going to encounter that same scenario. Uh, we understand how to uh, you know, overcome all of these obstacles, and we've covered them on people before you, which, you know, poor for them, but good for you. So the easiest way, again, and I'm harboring on this a little bit, is education. Make sure that you understand everything that we're doing and we take the necessary time. That's usually four meetings, sometimes five, times some, some, sometimes six. Sometimes over their entire lives, we're constantly covering new things to make people feel more comfortable. But that's why, you know, even on our website, it says, you know, financial planning done right takes time. So we're willing to dedicate the time to make sure that you're comfortable. From a psychological standpoint, from people saving to all of a sudden having to spend their savings in retirement is pretty daunting for a lot of people because uh, they feel like they're losing that money and they can't get it back. Well, and to some degree, you are. I mean, everybody's, again, everybody's situation is different. I have plenty of clients that are growing their uh, assets in retirement, but others are doing just that. They've saved, uh, you know, essentially the perfect amount of money for retirement, arguably. And that means that your asset base is, in fact, going to decline. And that's a scary thing unless you understand exactly what that glide path kind of looks like throughout your retirement, which, again, points us back to education. We have to make sure that we very carefully and concisely articulate what is going to what your retirement picture is going to look like. And if you feel like you've you've gone through this before, one, I'd be shocked if you've done it to the level that we do it here in the and the amount of time we spend on taxation and risk mitigation, et cetera. But even if you have, but you feel like it was all over your head, it's important that it's not. It's important that you work with somebody who can explain it to you in a way that's very easy to understand. Uh, so what we really, really focus on is although the concepts are very complex and although the math may be very robust and comprehensive, the ultimate explanation should be very simple. I think Warren Buffett has a rule that if you want him to buy your company and you send him a proposal on more than one sheet of paper, there's no way he's buying it because you should be able to explain everything that you're trying to do on one sheet of paper wouldn't it be nice if Congress could pass laws that way, by the <laughs> way? But nevertheless, um, I feel the exact same way. We should be able to explain exactly what we're doing very concisely, easily, that you know a 10-year-old can understand. Um, so that's the way we approach it. Can we dive deep in the weeds and explain it further? Of course. But that's uh, up to you. The number to call for Aptus Wealth Management and Josh is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. Mondays at 6 p.m., join Josh as he talks to Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. You can also hear that conversation as well at his website, aptuswealth.com. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll be here next week as well. We will talk to you then. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. 
That's aptuswealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.